Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Doorward Thinking. Did you make a New Year's resolution for 2022? Is it already a struggle to keep it? If so, don't worry, you're not alone. Even if you didn't make one for the New Year, the majority of people actually don't, we still all have goals, big and small, we set for ourselves and strive to achieve. Today's show is all about resolutions and goal setting. We'll talk about what works, what doesn't, and what to do when things don't quite go as planned. There's also plenty of big news to share, so stick around to the end for new ways to interact with me and the team. Time to get your doorward thinking caps on. Let's get started. Welcome back, thinkers. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and I'm very happy to be back in the studio for the season two premiere of Doorward Thinking. Each week, we will open a new door in our search for better ways to live and better ways to love as we examine what life has to offer in light of the untamable human spirit. As always, we strive to present each topic in a way that's relatable to everyone, so you can apply it to your life, your work, and your relationships. Today, we'll be taking a look at making resolutions you can actually keep, whether that's for your personal life, for your occupation or business, or just about anything else you can think of. Joining me here in the studio today are my friends at Team Doorward. We'll start with my chess buddy, Stephen Eit. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, hey, hey. Happy New Year. And Daniel Jacob Ison, a.k.a. Jake DeLion. Barely good at checkers. <laughs> and... We're going to jump off. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And the king of deceptively dark humor, Matthew Clem. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Matt. Wow. Uh, it's good to be here, Nate. <laughs> and over Zoom, from the city where the first blood transfusion was performed, Cleveland, Ohio, we have my friend, Peter Costanzo. Welcome to the show, Pete. Thank you, Nate. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. And wow, I just gotta say, Nate, thanks for not being in PJs today in the studio. Hey, you know what? It's the season premiere, red carpet event. We're going big. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Finally. So, Pete, I heard you had a pretty explosive New Year's. Yeah, uh, there's no question about it. Um, I would leave the the dad jokes though to Matt and I for today, but um, yes, it was very explosive. Had a little fireworks. By a little, I mean a lot. We had four uh, four cartons. And three of them were Ohio bombers, and I don't know what the the last one was, but essentially we got through two just fine uh, to celebrate bringing in the new year. And that third one tipped over, and it just started firing all over the neighborhood. Oh, dude! So I was separated from my wife Danielle. She was in the the apron of the driveway. We were doing this in the street and I was making sure that no traffic was going to come through the intersection. Obviously, it's nighttime, so it's dark. And I just see a firework go launching up the driveway and I see her jumping up behind a car to take cover. Oh, no. <laughs> like my instincts kicked in and I, I start running towards her and I see one coming right at me. So it's like screaming at me and and like right at the last second, it just cut across the tree lawn and just missed me. I was, you know, dusting, dusting some sparklers off my, off my jacket, but a narrow miss. Um, so really bringing in the new year, thinking about what we talk about, getting back to living. 
as my heart was stopped for 30 seconds or so. Wow. I love fireworks, but that's a little too close for comfort. It's too close for anyone, Nate. No one should have to go through that. (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking about getting back to living, before we begin today's main discussion, we are making a few changes to the show for season two, and I'd like to share those with you first. We'll still be having our regular discussions, but they'll be structured into a theme of the month. So for this January, to line up with the start of the new year, as well as our new improvements, our theme is New Beginnings. We'll also be inviting more guests to the show and start our Ideas to Inspire book club with a title related to each month's focus. We'll get into more details about the club and other ways you can interact with us in our great conversation at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. All right, so like I mentioned at the top, today's focus is all about resolutions, which in this sense, we are defining as a firm decision to do or not to do something. One of our resolutions here on the show is to have some more focused discussions. So to that end, we're going to have two shorter chats today. First, we're going to talk about what makes a good resolution. Then, after a little break, we'll talk about making and keeping our own personal resolutions and how that can propel us moving forward. So first off, a little bit about resolutions. In the United States, data over the last few years reveals that around 42% of us make New Year's resolutions each year. Although this year, a CBS News poll states only about 29% decided to make a resolution. Perhaps that's due to uncertainty and apprehension many of us are feeling right now. The earliest recorded form of a New Year's resolution was made by the Babylonians about 4,000 years ago. Their year started around March and corresponded with the planting of their crops. The Romans had a similar tradition in January, the month being named after the two-headed god Janus, who had one head looking into the past and another looking toward the future. The people would make promises of good behavior, which they tried to keep to retain the God's favor. In the mid-1700s, several Christian denominations held watch night services on New Year's Eve. The congregation would come together and they would pray and make resolutions for the new year. Today, the practice is mostly secular, and the most common resolution according to the CBS poll coming in at 26% is to improve health. Even with this year's drop in planned resolutions, that's still nearly 25 million Americans making health-related goals. Resolutions to improve finances and to better enjoy life follow at 10% each, rounding out the top three. Now, here comes the bad news. According to many sources, only about 8% of us actually keep our resolutions throughout the year. Anybody care to hazard a guess when most people break their resolution? Uh, I'd guess a little over a week in. That's not bad. So according to Stratfa, which is a social media platform for athletes, they say based on their activity logs, most resolutions are broken on January 12th. Wow. All right. So less than two weeks in. Painful. The second week, that's the hard one. (laughs) By the beginning of February, 74% of our New Year's resolutions are broken. And in fact, a lot of psychologists today are recommending that people not make New Year's resolutions, citing our likelihood of choosing an unrealistic goal, and that by waiting to start until January 1st, we're already introducing procrastination into these goals. So with all of that said and the dismal track record, 
What do you think is the motivation for making a resolution for the new year? They want things to change. They want their lives to be better. Things need to be improved. Well, it is an arbitrary date. I mean, even you just mentioned the Babylonians, and, and actually even our calendar jives with that. You know, September means seven, October means eight. So if you track back to March, that's when people were making resolutions. So that's interesting, kind of using an arbitrary date to renew your struggle, to renew your pursuit of excellence. Yeah, I think everyone's, you know, to varying degrees looking for an excuse to get their life back on track or to make changes. And yeah, it's an arbitrary date, but it's a kind of almost an excuse they're looking for. And I also think maybe it coincides with the time of year. It can be cold outside. You're more kind of hunkered down and you're kind of waiting for more activity later in the year. And I think it's maybe a time that you're you're looking to get things together before you kind of resume more activities. That kind of goes back to what we talked about in season one with Thanksgiving, right? It's a, almost a similar concept. Like, why not be thankful for things all year long? Why do we wait for Thanksgiving to give us that permission. And what Matt is saying, you know, that new year, it's almost like an incentive, right? Uh, it's a, it's a fresh start. Uh, but yeah, I think so, people like benchmarks, right? And so they find motivation in that. Like if, if the year can start over, then I can start anew as well on this, on this goal that I want to pursue. But I think that maybe the motivation, you know, that's not enough because if it was important, you wouldn't wait to start on January 1st, you would do it as soon as the thought popped into your mind. Or maybe if you overthink things like me, you know, he'd take a couple of weeks to figure it out and then jump into it. But I just don't think that's a good enough life ring for people to grab onto, to pull them through those 21 days they need to build that habit in their life. Yeah, I think January 1st is a perfect procrastination date. I think that's exactly what it is. Like Pete was saying, if it's really that important, it's a now resolution. Do that now. Like Get that together now. Don't wait. Stop procrastinating. I think another issue is that it kind of frames a, you know, a resolution or goal over an entire year, which is like a huge goal. And as soon as you kind of get off track, then that's what does you in. You know, if it were framed more as like the beginning of every month or like every couple of weeks or something, those are much more sustainable, right? And I wonder how much metrics plays into it. Nate, you mentioned, you know, a New Year's resolution of getting in better health. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean losing 10 pounds, dropping your blood pressure, dropping your, your mile split time, more hours spent on the bike? What does that quantify to? I want to be a better dad. What does that what does that mean? We have all kinds of seemingly arbitrary dates throughout the year for for any kinds of endeavors, right? So as a student, how many times have we I, I know I've done it, started a new semester, say like, okay, this time I'm going to get organized. This time I'm gonna get my notebooks and I'm gonna get my colored highlighters and my tabs and whatever I do, and this time it's going to be different. Right. So there's something about that fresh start, that new beginning that is very important psychologically. I, I hear what you guys are saying about January 1st being arbitrary, not a good enough reason. But how can we reframe every day or every small little period, wh Yeah, whether it's every day or every week, to be that new fresh start for us? 
So where we don't have to wait, where we don't have to procrastinate before we start. Well, I think it partly depends on what your your goal is, right? Because you need enough time to to have you know to put in the effort to see whether you're getting results and reevaluate. And depending what that is, when you when you kind of reframe, could be different, right? So if your goal is to um, eat better or something like that. Uh, a weekly time scale might make sense, but if it's to lose a certain number of pounds or gain pounds or something like that, that time frame probably needs to be longer. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're... I hear you. I hear you. So so the the task within the time frame, I think we find that helpful when we have even arbitrary deadline. If I have a certain project and I say, okay, I'm going to give myself one hour to do this project, I'm cognizant of the fact that, you know, the clock is ticking. I got, you know, 60 minutes here to make this happen. And so that, you know, it's a totally arbitrary, not starting even at the top of the hour and, you know, letting that clock run. It's just, here we go. You jump into it. And I think as human beings, we are okay with arbitrary deadlines as long as it's we who have made that deadline and it's not somehow imposed on us without us able to accept that deadline and make it our own. Sounds like locus of control that you talk about all the time, Pete. Definitely. And I and I think that, you know, Dan is right. He, he started to touch on, you know, if you give yourself this amount of time to do something, it's probably going to take you that amount of time. If you're, you're going to organize the office, right? If you say, I'm going to do it in three days, you'll finish it in three days. But what happens if you say, I'm going to organize the office in three hours? So is that part you, of why people give up resolutions then? You know, if, if I say... I'm going to cut my mild time in half and you give yourself, you know, the whole year, but then you're not seeing the progress or it's too ambitious of that goal, like that might as well give up, I'm not going to make it. And it may be because of a lack of understanding of the amount of time that lapses in order to measure progress. If we have to wait 365 days to see if we progress, that's a long time to wait, right? To see if there's been results. But what happens if you change that to 90 days? Or like Matt was saying, two, three weeks. Are we putting 365 day time limits on new goals, not understanding that that's probably way too long for any human to maintain an attention span on an objective? I think having a goal is important, but it probably shouldn't be the only thing you have. Perhaps a better strategy would be to focus on building habits to not only achieve that goal, but carry on past that. There can be a danger in, in goal setting too of that it's once you get to it, it's like, what do you do after that? Is that the part of the problem? No, I think that's exactly the problem right there. The habit of forming new habits Right. I think that's probably the first issue everybody needs to tackle before they even start thinking about a New Year's resolution. So if you're getting to the end of the year in December and you're trying to reflect on what like the year and how that went, if you didn't measure something from last year in your last year resolution and you're thinking about starting one this year, you need to start something sooner and you need to make it an easy task such that you're starting to form new habits. You're, think, you're trying to do something across a whole year where you didn't do that last year, you're going to have to start smaller. You're going to try to go that big, but you're probably going to fail if you're not already doing it successfully every day or every week, every month. If there isn't that structure already there, you're not going to make it over the year. Yeah, and I think also uh, a difficulty is just remembering to 
to do them. Obviously, some of them can be difficult, and the biggest hurdle is you just don't want to do it, but also if you forget to do it and then you forget to do it for a couple of days, then you're, you're not carrying that momentum forward. And so maybe if you're focused a little bit more on building the habit so that you don't have that cognitive load, you have all these goals and like, what do I need to do to achieve all these different things and keep moving forward? You get to the point where a lot of the progress that you're seeking is almost, yeah, just it, it is just habitual, which I think is a lot easier and a more effective way to achieve goals. We're really focusing on doing as opposed to being and I think that's even how we defined resolution, that decision point. I wonder if that's part of the problem, uh, you know, the, these habits or thinking about things that we do and what we do is what we become for sure. But is that like this resolution that we've made to do something as opposed to be something or to be someone? I wonder if that's where part of the breakdown happens where it's not tied to who I want to be. It's just something that I want to do. And there's that kind of like right. separation. I, there. I really love that idea. Instead of like a New Year's resolution, it's a being resolution. And I'm 100% on board, Dan. I think sometimes resolutions that seem like an action you're planning really are exactly what you're saying. When you say, I want to eat more healthily, okay, really what you're saying is, I want to be the person that eats more healthily yourself. Like, it's not a very, like, what does that even mean? Like, when it takes effort. <clears throat> Right? It's not just the eating. It's going to the grocery store. It's purchasing those healthy foods. It's planning the meals. It's taking the time to cook instead of going to fast food. So it, it takes real effort. And there's a lot around being healthy and eating healthily other than the individual action of making sure you have a salad. Right, exactly. So if your resolutions were smaller component pieces, a particular action you could take, that seems much more effective. So all of that being said, having resolutions, having goals, thinking about who you want to become, the actions that you want to take on a daily basis, that's a good thing, right? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say that uh, the point that Dan made earlier um, about being, that is, that's what helps you define whether or not this goal that you want to take action on is important. If you want to become something else, something new, something better, it's going to matter a little bit more to you and you're going to be driven to take action on that. Um, so I'm just trying to connect these dots. We can't just be better by not taking action. If we want to improve, we have to execute. We have to inject discipline. We have to take steps like Matt was saying, even if they're incremental, to get to that point. Right, where we felt like we've made progress, we've become a better father, more financially free, we've become healthier. So maybe some of these vague goals that we talked about in the beginning, that's actually drive within someone and they just need help to figure out what steps to take in order to become that new version of themselves. Right. Yeah. And I don't think we should confuse any of what we've been saying with that goals aren't good and they're not useful. Like that kind of, you need to start with that really. That kind of needs to be at the top, but then you need to build down more detail below that of how you achieve that goal. They're absolutely important and useful for a kind of a guiding light. There's a, you got to execute, right? You got to execute. There's a great quote, you know, I think it goes back to what Pete was saying to be what you've never been, you must do what you've never done. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think sometimes you can get frustrated of, and why can't I seem to make progress in these goals? And 
it can be so uncomfortable doing different things. I was actually just thinking about that earlier today of I tried overnight oats for the first time. We, we can cut what? this out. If we <laughs> no, but I, did, I didn't like it, but I'm like trying to eat, I'm trying to eat a more healthy breakfast. And so this is like one of, one of the ways. Um, and actually that eating a more healthy breakfast, like a, a better breakfast was not one of my resolutions. But anyways, my point was being, I was, I was, I was eating, I was like, I don't really like this at all. But then if I only did the things that I was comfortable doing, that, that really limits what I can accomplish to what I've already accomplished, basically. I think by definition in your who you are now being resolution is you're going to be uncomfortable at the beginning because you're doing something completely new. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So in psychology, we talk about this thing called the mere exposure effect. And basically what that's saying is as you're exposed to something, you become more comfortable with it and you begin to like it. I, I, love, I love where you're going with that, actually, because like, you know, recognizing that you're going to fail and like things are going to break down, like that's going to be, that's going to happen, period. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be mm -hmm. ready to get back on the rails. Um, and then another piece to that is like from the get go, as you're changing, is that recognition that like you are perfect, whole and complete um, and being uh, more than okay with where you are. So now that we recognize that having a resolution means that you need to be uncomfortable and start living in a new way and being a new person, for the second half of our show, we're going to go into exactly how to do that. In the meantime, we're gonna take a quick break so you can stretch, fill up your water bottle, check on your dinner, or do whatever you need to do, and reset for part two of today's episode, how to make your resolutions actually stick. Okay, so while everybody is taking that mental break, we're going to have our first installment of a new segment called Get Back to Living. Whenever we don't have a special guest, one of us will have the opportunity to tell a story or share something positive that they did or happened to them recently. So we just had our first ever company Christmas party last week, and wow, was it nice to spend time with these guys outside of the mad rush that is a startup. It was cool for me, Nate, um, because I got to experience that in the metaverse um, <laughs> from Cleveland. So that was my first time in the in the metaverse, and it was a little bit confusing navigating it. Um, but with your help and uh, Matt and Dan and, and Steve, I'd say it's a huge success. Oh, we were sorry you weren't able to join us in person. Yeah, we're all just bumping into each other with our VR headsets on. <laughs> for the record it was not in the metaverse uh and it was delightful to really get to hang out with the guys in, in person and uh, it was really cool you know surreal one of our summer interns showed up and it was awesome to hear about how her semester at washu had been going finishing up the semester really well she's killing it yeah we had some good food played some games and in particular that Time around the table playing the game was my favorite part of the evening. Hmm. Why is that? Um, well, I mean, we don't have offices right now. We're all kind of seeing each other through the computer screen, talking through the phone, or, you know, if we're off doing something on our own, it's a little bit isolated. Hmm. So we weren't just together, which is great, but we were doing something where I could see different parts of each of you. So, like... Uh, we were playing this great game where we had to make puns, 
and every once in a while, Jake would let out his like really impish laugh. <laughs> that's like, it, it, it's it's not even the one that you hear on the podcast. Sometimes it's like that next level where it's just like absolute comfort, and where 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 you can tell he really enjoys being a pain sometimes. Oh man, love it. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I really appreciated it being the first uh, Doorward Christmas party. I I look forward to many years down in the future of talking about remember that first Christmas party and I thought there were any crazy scandal stories or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just with a, the small team, us together, and, and really just taking the time to not, not try to move anything forward, just enjoy each other's company. Well, Steve got the, we had an ornament exchange, and Steve got the, the robot ornament, right? How perfect was <laughs> that? that? Was <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Incredible. That was, uh, that's hilarious. My favorite part about our Christmas and New Year's party was, you know, planning for the next year, whether it happens or not. We already have this one beautiful thing, and we're already thinking, like, oh, I can't wait to do this, this, and that next year. And I think that's awesome. We're just talking, like, caroling next year while JPW is on the piano. So <laughs> I think we're all looking forward to that. So it's great. You know, it was heartwarming, and it was all those specific memories, and I'm looking forward to the next year already. When Pete will be in person and can finally do that solo he promised us. <laughs> oh, Holy Night, was it? I think so, but, you know, that could have just been the metaverse me. I'm not sure. Well, maybe you can bring some fireworks too, Pete. So you want me to cross state lines with <laughs> explosives? <laughs> that is going to be one wild Christmas party, Nate. So, yeah, it, it was really great. And um, I really encourage everybody to spend some time with others outside of the everyday routine and get to know them in a new way, such as asking them new questions about themselves or doing a new activity. Uh, it really is joyful and it's good for the soul. Alrighty, it's time to get those doorward thinking caps back on. Now, Let's go a little bit more in depth on what actually makes a good resolution. There are a lot of articles and sources I read in preparation for today's episode that mentioned there are ways to choose resolutions that we are more likely to keep. Interestingly, these sources are from people with extremely varied worldviews, from both Eastern and Western cultures, and from deeply religious individuals to staunch atheists. Goal setting is a human universal. To illustrate this point, Jose Maria Escrivá, a Spanish religious, wrote in his book, The Way, to, quote, make few resolutions and make specific resolutions. While one of the pioneers of goal theory, psychologist Edwin Locke, who says he rejected religion at age 18, came up with five attributes of an achievable goal. The first of which is that goals that are achievable are clear. Sound familiar? We've touched upon this a little bit earlier, but just to reiterate, what are the characteristics of goals that we cannot seem to keep? Those would be goals that are vaguely defined or you know, loosely defined without any boundaries or parameters, and they would be lacking identifiable steps in order to, you know, action items in order to achieve that goal. So maybe an underdeveloped goal, a, a not well thought out goal. Uh, or one that doesn't align with who you are and who you want to become makes it even more difficult to achieve that goal. You use the words well thought out. And I think that's maybe the key 
to go precisely at your point about how does it connect back to you and who you want to be, to become. And I think sometimes we can have almost whims, right, where um, you know, a passing fancy of something that we see or somebody else, that, oh, that, that's a good goal for me to reach out towards. And at the end of the day, it, it's really not. It's not going to stick. It's not grounded in any sort of sense of mission of for your life. And I think the, the ones that don't stick are some of those, like, passing whims that you didn't take the time to actually think about and filter out. Does this actually matter to me? Right. you got to look inward, right? Everybody, most people do tend to look outward. Right. And they see that that another person that posts the status about their New Year's resolution and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm going to do that, too. But what does that truly mean to you? Right. Or their goals that are or resolutions that are centered around becoming like someone else. They don't fit your personality and your individual human dignity where you're trying to match someone who's just famous and you're just trying to copycat that. I don't mean that you can't look up to people and try to emulate their good qualities. I, I more mean trying to become basically like another person. Other qualities of goals that are hard to achieve and attain are that maybe they're too challenging. So it's going to take more time to become that new person. You know, saying, I'd like to cut down my mile time in half. Well, for whatever reason, maybe you're just not at that stage yet. And you need to work on other things, like we were talking with earlier, Matt, about building all those habits around it. Another one of the points of goal theory is that feedback is very important. Now, Steve, you talk about this all the time, where you say, we need measurable metrics. Bingo. Yeah, you need to know what you did in order to improve that. So you need to start recording stuff immediately to understand where you're at. And from the get-go, without a measuring stick, you don't know what's going on. It's all arbitrary. Like, oh, my room's dirty today. Well, how many days was it dirty? Was it dirty every day this week or was it just the one? Like, did you do good on it or did you do bad? You know if you're improving week over week if you're checking things out. So making sure you're measuring something and you're checking things out is um, absolutely important from the get-go. That's And choosing how often we measure. So, like, you gave the room example right now. The room could be clean six days out of the week, but you're only measuring it on Saturday. And on Saturday, you brought some mud in, tracked it into the house, you threw off all your clothes, and it's laying on the floor, and your room's a mess. But for six days, everything was great. So the frequency at which we measure means something. Some people are not good at the precise task of measuring, but they could still, if it's grounded in a sense of identity, they can still keep that goal or resolution in mind and be working towards it. And I'm all for the metrics. I think it's helpful. But it doesn't mean that just because you stopped measuring that you've given up on the goal. But I think the measuring and recording of that is very important to help sustain that, that motivation and discipline. Three years ago, I read something, and I don't even know if it's true, that if you drink a cup of water in the morning, when you wake up, it helps to like activate your organs. That's like the smallest goal in the world. And I haven't missed a day in like three years and change. But do you and measure that? Do that I'm like, All right. Well, yeah, because I fill the cup up with water and I see it full and then I drink it and I see it empty. And I'm like, I measured. I did it. 
now I can go do something else, right? I crossed it off my list. Yeah. So I guess as I was talking about the specific act of recording it, it, it is helpful. I think it's an aid, but it's not the fundamental aspect of the, of the resolution. I'd like to get back to this notion of becoming a new person and changing your being. So this is a quote that gets misattributed all the time, but it was actually said by Zig Ziglar. He was a motivational speaker who worked for 40 years just before the turn of the century. And he says, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Hmm. So does anybody have words about changing who you are, not just what you do? So every morning I'm doing interval sprints at 5.30, rain, sleet, ice like this morning, pretty brutal. And the actual thing that I'm doing, like it's over pretty quickly, but it's who I have become as a result of this continuous exercise, I mean, I guess to use both sense of the of the word, that I've grown in fortitude, I've grown in perseverance, I've grown in determination. And this is going to sound kind of weird, but like when I'm sprinting down Essex Ave, you know, at 530 in the morning, like sometimes the echoes through my brain, it's like I am a warrior. What I have kind of done, these little things day after day, takes less than 10 minutes or so helps to kind of redefine who I want to be or see myself as. Dan was saying that he doesn't measure it, but I think, in fact, he does, right? It's a go, no-go gauge, right? Did he do it or not? And I and there's been times where you've talked about how you felt when you when you didn't do it versus when you did, right? And you know personally for yourself that there is a difference. And so even back here in the back of your big old brain, you're measuring that subconsciously, whether you did it or not. All right. All right. I, I think we're making a yourself. distinction here and I like it. I think it's an important distinction, right? A, a, a post factum reflection on whether or not doing that analysis. Awareness. Like, yeah. And, and that's, what's important, right? So it's, it's, even if you don't do it in the moment, take that time, like Steve was saying earlier, like, you know, maybe a couple of the weeks leading up to the end of the year, think about how did my, my overall goals go? Mm-hmm. And, and I think of measurement in kind of a very precise scientific term, but you're not, you're not using that sense. And I think that's okay. And I like that we can embrace all kinds of reflection on the things that we've done or didn't do to use them to aid our future resolutions. Exactly. And it's, but I think it's an important distinction to make because people have trouble with levels of precision, right? And uh, that awareness, right, that quick check the box can be the propulsion that somebody somebody needs. Pete, that brings up an interesting point, um, like trouble with precision, trouble with measurement. It's like we're all human. We all have flaws and we all have things that we are not so great at. Like one of the things with me is I love to cook. I don't like washing the dishes. But if I want to cook more, I need to make sure that I wash the dishes, right? So those things go hand in hand, and I need to do both in order to function as somebody who mm-hmm. likes to make food, whether it's for myself or for others or whatever. 
And one important thing that goal setters talk about is what happens when you fail. Because we're all going to fail, whether it's in measurement or carrying out an action, like in my case. Escriva makes another point in his book, The Way, where he says, you say you have failed. You cannot fail. You have not failed. You have gained experience forward. So what can we learn from our failures? Or, or, or not from our failures, but from this new gained experience? I was going to say, and you started to make some, some, some great points there and made me think about, you know, what Dan was saying earlier about it, you know, the, the goal tying to our being, looking inward, not just a passing whim. If that goal means something to you and you fail, there's discipline and willpower that's going to come back. You're going to observe the learning experience and continue to press forward. So you discover this wall that you're pressing up against. You failed, but you found it. So you want to you want to keep pushing against it, right? If this goal is a whim, as as Dan earlier identified, and you fail, you have a higher chance of just walking away, because this goal really doesn't have any meaning to you. You tried it, you failed. You're not observing it as a learning experience because it didn't connect with your being and your desire to improve your being. So I think that will help us understand if this goal is meaningful. To better our lives or not? You know, was it a whim or was it was it something that I really needed to do for myself? I think when you're starting out, right from the get-go, you should have a plan for failure. You should know that things are probably gonna get off track. Um, you shouldn't expect it, but you know, be prepared for when you do fail. If you're serious about it, when you're setting this up, you plan for this. So you've got triggers, you've got something such that if you're gonna fail, here's what you're gonna do to get back on track. So from the get-go, that should come in from the beginning, like, here's what you're going to do. Here's that action I'm going to take when I fall off track. Yeah, and seeing that failure again, not as failure, but as experience, that's sort of the same idea that we're going we're to plan for those experiences. Maybe sometimes you hear in sales, I'm not failing. I'm just getting closer to the actual sale, right? You know, nine no's just means that that 10th one's about to be a yes. Right. And I think a reason why a lot of people fail at their goals is that they don't properly plan for the possibility of failure, right? So that they, they don't properly think out what are all these challenges to achieving this goal? How am I going to address those, plan for them before I fail to kind of mitigate them? Basically, they don't, they don't plan to mitigate the difficulties enough. And this is where that mindset of being able to start fresh every day and to take it upon yourself is really important. And the realization that we need to have is that we can always start over. We can always pick ourselves up. So just because it's not a new semester, just because it's not New Year's Day, just because it's not the start of a new month where there's a new goal at work, doesn't mean that everything's over. We start every new day fresh. Whatever happened yesterday, we learn from it, sure, but that doesn't define us. That doesn't define who we are. What defines us is what we do moving forward and that person that we become in the next hour, at the end of the day, in a week, and pretty soon, that person that we envision is going to be ourselves in a year, five years, 10 years. And if we keep reevaluating and keep making improvements, 
We are going to be so much further along than when we started 10 years ago just thinking, I'd like to do this little thing. So starting over every day and having that perspective of I'm going to do this and I'm going to continue to grow takes us to places we can't even imagine. Wow, it's beautiful, Nate. And I can't help but think of the movie Groundhog Day, you know, where he actually has a fresh start every day, but bringing the experience of all the previous days and, and how he was able to kind of build on that to become the person that he wanted to be, that he was meant to be, a person who, who truly knew how to love. I was hoping for something a little bit more, like, epic, like uh, Herb Brooks' speech in, in Miracle, where it's like, this is your time. Go out there and take it. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll take Groundhog Day for sure. That's a classic. Classic. Bill Murray. Can't do without him. Okay. So just to bring this all together... The pieces of goal theory that Locke identified as being important are that your goals need to be clear. So that means taking the time to write out something specific. Pete, like you said, something like being a better dad, while it's great, isn't specific enough. People need to have verbs where they can say, I am going to do this, and it's very specific. We also need significant challenge something that will inspire us. And to that end, it needs to be something that is within our person, who we are meant to be. And that takes a lot of that reflection that we've talked about in earlier episodes in season one. It takes commitment, that ability to stick with it, but also to reframe and to start fresh when those difficulties happen or, or when we have those little failures. It takes good feedback, like we were saying, with the measurement, whether that's something explicit, like checking something off a box, or implicit, reflecting and saying, I've done my wind sprints, I've had my class of cold water, and I know where I stand. And the last bit is task complexity. And what we mean by that is breaking down these large goals into smaller sub-goals, into these habits that we can form around the big goal. We want to give the appropriate time to accomplish a goal. So that means whatever you're thinking of doing, put it in a reasonable time frame for you to do. And if you're starting to feel stressed, it's okay to reassess some of these areas and to modify the goals. Just because something doesn't happen exactly the way we think doesn't mean it's over. Okay, we can always go back and tweak things along the way. That's the whole part of taking this time to reflect every week. One tool that you might find useful in making goals is to use the SMART goal method. And that stands for goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Thank you for joining me today, guys. Before we sign off, is there anything that you'd like to add or that really bears repeating? Stick to that pace, um, be patient, and when you slip, you know, make sure you get back on the rails as fast as possible. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was always linking your goals to a, a broader idea of who you are and who you want to be. Going back to this idea of locus of control that we touched on at the very beginning, I think it's important to realize that while the goals have to be our own, it doesn't mean that we can't talk to others about those things, right? And to try to uh, get to uh, that clarity through people that know us, care about us, because 
it can be helpful to have that sounding board. And it, it, even if somebody tells us something, doesn't mean we have to run the opposite direction. You know, it, it, we can see if it resonates and is that who we want to be and embrace that. And that's okay too. And I, I think we can't lose sight of that aspect either. One more thing. There is power in those failures and recognizing those. So, you know, even if you fail, don't beat yourself up. That's okay. Recognizing the failure is that perfect point to get you back on track. That's all great stuff, guys. I'd like to finish off with one more quote, and I really don't know who said this one, but it's often attributed to the famed Ninja Turtle and Renaissance artist Michelangelo. And he says, The greater danger for most of us lies in not setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. Ooh, it's different. Okay. So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned some ways for listeners to join us in the great conversation. First, what is this great conversation I'm referring to? Well, Wikipedia defines the great conversation as, quote, the ongoing process of writers and thinkers referencing, building on, and refining the work of their predecessors. Think of it as standing on the shoulders of giants. Here at Team Doorward, we believe everybody has something to contribute to this conversation, stemming from each of our unique perspectives and experiences. We believe in the inherent dignity of a human person, a person's ability to reason and create, and we defend that person's freedom to express their own thoughts and opinions and to engage in civil discussion regarding them. And when we say everybody, we mean everybody, and we want to hear from you. Now. That being said, we've come up with a few ways to better interact. First, I invite you to share your Get Back to Living moments with us. Just send an email to podcast at doorward.com telling us about a positive experience you had recently sharing life with others. Submissions that we choose to share on the show will receive some of our podcast swag, either a coffee mug or a t-shirt. It'll be your choice. We're also starting the Ideas to Inspire book club. We'll choose a motivational or entrepreneurial book that fits into the theme of the month and have a book club-esque discussion at that month's end. For our theme of new beginnings in January, we'll be reading the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Simon is a self-described optimist and motivational speaker who believes in a bright future and our ability to build it together. And that's not from me, it's straight from his LinkedIn profile. He really burst onto the scene in 2009 with his TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, which is currently the third most popular talk in the series. I've got the book with me right now, and the blurb claims that all leaders who inspire us, from Martin Luther King Jr. to Steve Jobs to the Wright brothers, think, act, and communicate in the exact same way. And it's the complete opposite of what everyone else does. It provides a framework upon which all people can be inspired, organizations can be built, and movements can be led. And it all starts with why. I checked startwithwhy.com, and they're all out of stock, so you can head to Amazon and pick up a copy for as little as $3.62 plus shipping and read along with us. It's a fairly quick read, and you can finish the book by reading just 12 pages a day for three weeks. Lastly, if you have something that you'd like to share about your work or expertise as a guest of the show, please email me directly at nate at doorward.com. That's N-A-T-E, like my name, at doorward.com. 
I'll be reaching out to you and starting a conversation as soon as I'm able. Thank you guys for joining me today. I'm looking forward to a very exciting season two with a lot of growth and a lot of discovery. Thanks, y'all. Love y'all. Have a great new year. Join us next week for an inside look at bringing your vision to life. We'll be back with the team discussing our journey as entrepreneurs and sharing how to get something off the ground from small personal projects or desired habits to starting a business. For more Doorward Thinking content from the whole team, check out our blog at doorward.com slash doorwardthinking. We're starting with weekly posts and we'll be updating even more frequently soon. For the latest news about the show and Doorward, as well as some special surprises, be sure to follow Doorward on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to make sure you don't miss our next episode, subscribe to Doorward Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Until next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you that it's okay if you fail. It's always a great time to start over and to get back to living. Hey guys, it's Nate again. I'll be honest with you, one of my favorite parts of editing and putting these shows together is finding that perfect line that's going to be the Easter egg at the end of the episode. And we didn't quite have one this time. So, for all of you wind sprint warriors out there, overnight oats are actually a really great and easy way to have a quick, healthy breakfast to start your morning. Probably not as quick as a cold glass of water, but all you need are about a half cup of old-fashioned rolled oats, some kind of liquid like cow's milk or an alternative like almond, cashew, or coconut, some chia seeds for thickening, and you can add in yogurt, fruit, berries, spices, whatever suits your taste. There's actually a lot of great recipes online, so Go ahead, give it a try, and if there's something you like, send it over our way so we can make Matt's breakfast a little more enjoyable. Bon appétit, and we'll see you next week.